get started, we are in the book of Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy in the second half of that chapter, beginning 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. We talked a little bit last week about Timothy and Paul. Paul is the uh, author of this book. Timothy is his protege. Paul has put upon him to pastor this church in Ephesus and to lead this church. And so it's a very important task. And we talked a little bit last week about how Timothy might be intimidated by that. Timothy might want to leave. It wasn't a great town. Lots of idolatry, lots of evil. So we talked a little bit about that. Uh, and we're going to continue on beginning with verse 12, and this is talking about, these first couple of verses are talking about Paul and how he was entrusted with the gospel. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. And those are important words there. Counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so the word insolent means rude or disrespectful. I don't know. Uh, it is in New King James Version, verse 12. So everything I teach comes from New King James and from, from a biblical standpoint. Verse 13. Paul saying he's been entrusted with the gospel, and the reason why he's been entrusted with the gospel is because Jesus enabled him. I could say the same thing. I've been entrusted with the gospel. Those who teach could say the same thing. Now, whether they're a Sunday school teacher or occasional teacher or whatever it might be. And honestly, all of us as Christians have been entrusted with the gospel in some form or fashion. It may be personal witnessing or whatever. We have to understand that it is the Lord that's entrusted us and he has enabled us uh, to be able to do that. And that's what Paul is saying and Paul is thankful that the Lord has entrusted him with the gospel, that he has enabled him. But Paul did go on to say that there was a characteristic about him that enabled the Lord or allowed the Lord to use him. And what was that characteristic? Found faithful, right? The Bible is very specific. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't choose people with abilities. We know he does. We know that God chooses uh, people who are very gifted and, and things, but he also chooses people who aren't. Uh, when we look at this, the main thing that God really is, is looking for is faithfulness. And he even says, the Bible even tells us when, when we get to heaven, essentially that we want to uh, be told, well done, good, and faithful servant. That's really what we want to strive for is being there. That's what faithfulness is about. 
you really can't do anything for the Lord if you don't show up, right? <laughs> and that's what faithfulness is uh, is all about. It's about showing up. Uh, Bishop Andrade, just a, a few months ago, preached a sermon called Just Be There. That was the, you know, talking about faithfulness. And so that's important uh, that we be there. One of the concepts that we see throughout 1 Timothy, and actually throughout most of Paul's writing, is that this subject of that we're slaves, that we're servants of the Lord. Modern day, you don't hear people saying, as we talk about volunteer, but biblically speaking, we're not volunteers. I don't want to bust your bubble. But biblically speaking, we're not volunteers. We're actually slaves working for him because of this love relationship uh, that we have. So we're not really volunteers uh, and we're to be faithful as a servant. That's the reason why the church exists on what we modernly call volunteers, right? Really, everybody is a servant see that Paul saying hey he counted me faithful the good thing about that God is looking for faithfulness is that you don't have to be smart you don't have to be talented and I'm not looking at anybody in particular here when I say this right I can look back at me uh, I don't have to be smart I don't have to be talented I don't have to be gifted as a matter of fact this quality is a very down-to-earth quality Paul is really very specific about that and that he's been faithful and the Lord has put him into the ministry. Sometimes in our day, we have a convoluted idea of what the ministry is. We think of it as being behind the pulpit, being a teacher, being on the stage and on the worship team. And, you know, all of that is ministry and it is ministry. But that's not all that ministry is. Now, ministry is a very broad category, and it simply means to serve. We're called for service. We're to, we're to be servants. And honestly, there's nothing really truly spiritual about that word, ministry. It just means to serve. Sometimes we get, oh, they're called into the ministry. You know, this big aura ought to follow them. No, we're all called into service. And so that, that's what Paul is really uh, getting through here. So it just means to work hard and serve. Paul, as you look at Paul, he's very transparent. He didn't say, bless God, I'm an apostle and a minister, and I've always been perfect, and I've never been anything, but he doesn't do that. What does he do here? He says, hey, I have been a blasphemer. I've been a persecutor. But God still chose to use me. Now, Paul didn't stay a blasphemer and didn't stay a persecutor. He, he changed as the Lord worked in his life. But he is, you know, first and foremost, God is using him not because of abilities as much as availabilities. I, I said that a couple weeks ago or so uh, when preaching. That God is more interested in your 
availability than your ability. He will use your ability, but he wants you to be there. And he wants you to show up and be available to him. So, Paul was, he did point out that he was formerly something. When I say this, I understand what people are saying, but we need to be careful how we speak. A lot of people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We need to be very careful when we say those kinds of things because we're identifying ourselves as a sinner. And really what it is, is I was formerly a sinner. It's like Paul said, I was formerly a persecutor. I was formerly uh, one who blasphemed uh, against the Lord unknowingly. We'll find that out, uh, that he's doing that. But your past is in the past. And the Lord can use you today despite your past. Now, when I say that, the Lord will and can use you despite your past. People are not so quick to forget your past as the Lord. Which is sad. Because most of the people who want to bring up your past also have a past. <laughs> uh, and maybe it just didn't become public knowledge, but most people have a past that they'd like to keep in the past. Uh, we see that God's able to bypass your past and use you. You never have to feel like God's unable to use you. Here God used Paul, who was holding the coats, we know this, right, in Acts, of those who were killing the saints. Wow. We're going to get a little further into that part about Paul's life, but he was formal. In saying all this, Paul is giving Timothy another reason. We talked about reasons why Paul why Timothy might want to leave Ephesus. And one of those reasons, which we didn't go into too much last week, is that Timothy may have felt unworthy or incapable of doing the work that I'm called to do. I think that's very real, don't, don't you? I mean, I, I think a lot of us think that. That I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not good enough. Sometimes the devil doesn't need any help. <laughs> and convincing us of that because we remember who we used to be. If you don't hear anything else tonight, remember what you were formerly, that you're not that man. Timothy may have felt a little bit incapable or, or unworthy. But what's Paul saying here to Timothy? Why does Paul go through the trouble of saying, I used to be this, I used to be that, I have a terrible past. That's true. You don't want to be put on pedestal. And He's trying to convince Timothy that if God can use me, I've done all these terrible things, then God can use you. And so he's trying to encourage them and say, look, it's not about your past. It's not about what you used to be. It's about that God has called you now to do something for the Lord. We can find courage in that, that God will use us despite our past, despite uh, how unworthy we might feel. If we let him, yes. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves, uh, which is sad. The most fulfilled you will ever feel is when God uses you to do something for the kingdom. 
that's that's just the truth. I mean, whether it's welcome today, here's our bulletin, that's ministry. Whether it's singing on the worship team, whether it's cleaning up after a meal, whatever it is, see, we, we're, identif we're identifying ministry incorrectly sometimes. Uh, and so, whatever that is, you can be fulfilled in that. Now, as you're faithful, remember the talents, okay? As you're faithful, God will use you in other capacities. As you've been faithful in small things, he'll use you in greater things. And so uh, that's that's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, uh, that God will, will do that. Now, look at look at what Paul said here in those first few verses. He said, I did it ignorantly. Now, ignorance doesn't excuse our sin, but it does allow God to use mercy and help us, right? Uh, how many knows that God's merciful? Unbelief and ignorance, Paul's saying because of that, God had a lot of mercy. Uh, not that I was less guilty, but that God's mercy covered me uh, in, in, in all of that. And matter of fact, he says there that his grace, the Lord, grace of the Lord was exceedingly abundant. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Not riches at Christ's expense. Paul is saying, Despite my past, God could use me, he could use you. Despite my past, God's grace was super abundant. Overflow. All right, let's read uh, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And this is Paul. He's saying... And by the way, the reason why he says that this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance is because you will find this phrase or one very close to this used at least five different times throughout some of his epistles in the New Testament. So he's saying, hey, uh, this is a faithful saying that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He said, I am still currently chief of that, right? Now, I think if we try to put ourselves in Paul's place, we can understand why he thinks he's the biggest sinner. I mean, he's responsible for getting papers against Christians. They're put in prison. They're executed. And he thinks huh, it's the biggest turnabout you can imagine. He's like proud that I'm keeping Judaism from being corrupted by these crazy Christians. He's like proud. He's like, man, I'm working for God. And then God shows him, wow, you've been wrong in all of this. And so Paul's saying, I'm like the chief among sinners. And so we can kind of understand why he's saying that. But the most important part of that phrase is that Jesus, that Christ came to save sinners. That is the Lord's chief aim and goal. That's why he came. Uh, he came that sinners might come to a knowledge uh, of him. They might be <coughs> saved. And he went through all that he went through. We're going to talk about some of that in, at Easter. The Lord really impressed upon my heart to talk about what Christ
Christ went through before going to the cross and then on the cross. And it's so sobering. Such intense suffering and all of that. But that's why Jesus came. He knew when he came that was what he was going to uh, encounter. I think it's important that he says that Christ came to save sinners. And sometimes, especially in our modern era, I should say error, that we fail to mention sin. It's like it's politically unacceptable to mention sin. But sin is sin. I mean, people sin. Without sin, then we don't have a need for the Savior, right? That's why he came. Many times, modern day, yes, preachers, sometimes evangelists, have failed to use or have taken the word sin or sinner out of the vocabulary. I think we have to go back to that. I think we have to go back to calling sin, sin. They have eroded the concept of what sin really is. So it, it's important uh, that we do that. When I say call sin, sin, we need to have still have mercy, and we need to have grace with people but we don't need to say this is okay for you to do even though the Bible says it's not. That, that's where we really go wrong. We've seen congregations, not whole congregations, but some people step out and say, well, this is still okay. This is, this is okay. This sin, you know, God will overlook this sin. And that's incorrect theology. It's false teaching. So we have to call sin, sin, because if we don't, then people have no knowledge that they need to say it's dangerous. Say, I know that God will hold people accountable who teach the Bible incorrectly from the standpoint of this is not sin anymore. I think that they'll be held accountable. And God didn't take those verses out of the Bible that, you, that we just don't like to think about. And there are some things that are not delineated in the Bible, but there are some very clear things, too, that, that really are very clear uh, and clearly sin. Now, knowing that it's still on us to love the sinner and, and hate the sin. You see, that phrase is no longer acceptable in our Bible. Even though it's true, we must uh, now. The, the modern theology is that we, we not only do we uh, hate the sin, but we must accept the sin and call it right. And so it's, it's really gone off the deep end, honestly. Verse sixteen. However, for this reason I obtained mercy. That's what Paul's saying. I did it in ignorance. I didn't understand. Uh, I didn't believe correctly. I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ may show all long suffering. Get this, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying that he is serving as a pattern for those who will believe in the future. Right? Who believe on the Lord. We in Paul, in his life, we can see the example of God's mercy. 
I mean, if God hadn't showed Paul mercy, he would have killed him before ever giving him the chance to know him and to serve him. He could have killed him uh, for what he was doing. Uh, but here Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm going to serve as an example. I'm going to serve as a pattern so that no matter what you've done, he's, he, in his mind he's thinking, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have sinned any more than what I did. So if the Lord will save me, he'll save you. And that's, that's good. That's good, right? I mean, that's a, a, a wonderful thing to know. And that's Paul uh, is, again, in through all this, he's encouraging Timothy. Uh, and he's being a witness to say, you need to live as a pattern for others as well. Let's read verse 17. So Paul is about, he's starting the process. Paul is a very lengthy uh, writer, so he, he, his, his thoughts go on and on. So uh, here he's starting to finish this chapter, but we see there's going to be quite a bit more. Uh, and in verse 17, he takes what I will call a praise break. He talked about how bad he used to be, how cheap he was of a sinner, all these kinds of things. He talked about all of that, and then he's like, but God's using me as a pattern. God's gonna, uh, God was merciful to me, so now he's like, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. So he just breaks out in this praise break because God has found him worthy that he would use him and that he would be merciful to him. And so and, and Paul is thankful that God has done that. So uh, we, we see that uh, he's doing that. The king eternal always has been and always will be. Uh, immortal, invisible. He's working when we can't even see what he's doing. Uh, he's immortal. He exists before anything else existed, he existed. And he alone is wise. He understands all things. Uh, so, praise break time. And then he gets right back to charging Timothy. I've got something that you need to do. He's charging him to fight the good fight. That's kind of Paul's analogy. He always uses fighter or a runner, some kind of sport type activity uh, that Paul uses because it's, he knows it's relatable to the time frame and where he's at. So he's, he's using this. He says, this charge I commit to you son Timothy. We talked a little bit about their relationship last week. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. We're in a war. In battle, Paul is charging Timothy. It is uh, a military word. It refers to a commanding officer. Bill gave us some great insight uh, last week about some of this, these military and what you know terms and what they meant, uh, which really added to uh, that discussion. The other thing that we see in there is that. Some people had prophesied over Timothy that God would use him. That's some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in action. 
I remember going to a rally or something, and uh, there was a, if I said his name, he was kind of an odd gentleman, but he was a good preacher, and, and God used him and gifts of healing and prophesying and different things. And he called me out, and he simply said, I see you standing in the middle of a field, and there's this big tree in front of you. And here I'm a teenager, I don't have a clue that God's going to use me in any manner like this now. And on all on the branches, there's little loaves of bread. You know, he basically began to describe this and how God was going to use me. And I'll be truthful to you, at that time I did not understand what that meant. Over time I've come to understand what's the word? It's the bread of life, right? Uh, and so I'm teaching and I'm preaching and I'm giving the bread of life, but I didn't understand that prophecy. Here Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, somebody has already prophesied to you that God's going to use you in a manner for the kingdom of God. What do you feel about that? What do you feel about that? you think God shows people things about your life uh, that will happen later on? Is there any caution with that? What's the caution? I'm, I'm trying to get to this. What's the caution? What do you, what do you have to be with us? Got to be confirmed. Got to be confirmed. Love that. Most of the time, and I, I say this all the time, but I think it's important that if somebody speaks to you as if they're speaking prophetically to you, you need to make sure that it is something that God either confirmed, has confirmed prior, or that he does later. It could be that that's the first time you hear that. You, you need to test it, is the word. Yeah, you may you may not know not has those exact words, but you have a feeling, you have something that the Lord's dealing with you about, and then somebody comes along and confirms that through a word of prophecy or wisdom or word of knowledge. Because I think sometimes the reason why people are constantly looking for someone to tell them something from the Lord is that they've been lazy in their spiritual life. And they don't want to pray and seek God, and they don't want to dig into God's Word, because sometimes God's Word will just, I don't know if you've had it happen to you, I'm sure you have, will just wham! I mean, it'll hit you, and it'll be like, I'm speaking this to you right now, right here, do this. And so while I'm not trying to be negative when I say sometimes people are spiritually lazy, that's the reason why they want to go to these conferences and, and things and, oh, speak a word over me, you know. Well, you, you ought to be hearing from the Lord outside of that. I'm a firm believer unless God calls you away that you should not go. Now, I don't mean you don't, don't go to a revival or don't go to a That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, uh, I'm talking about people who just change churches in the church. If you plant a beautiful bush flower and you get it rooted, you get it grounded, and it starts to produce, about ready to produce some fruit, and you jerk that thing up out of the ground and go slam it in the ground somewhere else. It's going to wilt, it's going to stop producing fruit, it's going to all these kinds of things. And I don't say that just to keep people here. Surely if God calls you somewhere else, I also think that God confirms that. I've had people come to me before and they said, 
we feel like that God's calling us away to this particular location to do this. And I don't like it, but I knew it was right. As pastors, we don't like anybody to leave. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, but I knew it was right. And the Lord kind of confirmed it. And so, Psalm chapter 1 tells us that the tree that is planted, and that's the key word in that psalm, by the living water, it, that's the one that's going to produce fruit. And so we do have to be cautious, and, 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 and I've told people that before. Of course, they were already leaving, they made up their mind, but I told them anyway. <laughs> I said, I think you being like the tree, you was planted, you was getting well fed, you was starting to bloom, and then you jerked yourself up out of that situation. And there's a difference in God replanting you versus you just uprooting, uprooting yourself. Because uh, then, then God plants you in a place, then God plants you in a place where you can flourish. You can uh, do what he's called you to do. So anyway, verse 19. Paul established we're in a warfare. He's saying, Timothy, fight the good fight, fight the good uh, thing. And then he's going to give him a couple of tools. I'm going to talk about a couple of tools that we need for our warfare and the faith. Uh, and those are faith and a good conscience. So having faith and a good conscience, conscience, it's hard to say, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So, faith is crucial, essential in the battle. It's crucial, it's essential uh, because you will face spiritual attacks. My goodness, I can preach this right now because I feel like I've been on that forefront, just, you know, right out in the middle of the battle. You've got to have faith. But having a good conscience, what does that mean? You know that you're right with the Lord. That you're where God wants you to be. You, you know, you're established. You're like this tree that we talked about. You have this good conscience before the Lord. That's, that's uh, important too. That we're going to face the attacks. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be sometimes shipwrecked. Have you ever read Paul's account of what happened to him in his life? Oh my goodness, sometimes we think we've had it bad. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I've been shipwrecked twice. I've been stoned. I've been beaten. I've been in prison. I, all these things. Snake bit. I mean, just, you know, just anything you can imagine. But you have to keep faith. You have to keep moving forward in the fight and that good conscience towards God is that Lord I know I'm living right for you. I know I'm doing what you've called me to do. That helps you to keep from getting depressed and anxious about what's surrounding you. If you don't have faith and you don't have a good conscience towards God you're going to make a mess of things. Because without faith we will not please God Without faith, we'll run away from the assignment that God has given to us because it feels too hard. You've got to have faith. You've got to have a good conscience. 
That doesn't mean that you live perfectly. A good conscience towards God means that you've not run away from his call on your life. You've been faithful to that. You've served the Lord. Because you have served the Lord, then you can have this assurance. This God blessed assurance, right? Uh, that God is with you. He's for you. He's not against you. All right, verse 20, showing an example of two people who reject him, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Wow. All pretty tough, isn't it? He's like, I delivered them to the Lord. Does that mean that Paul gave up on them? Sometimes you have to let the Lord or Satan Sometimes do things with people so that they mature and grow and learn. It's kind of like with your kids, honestly. You can bail them out too many times and it's bad for the good. I don't think Paul has any lack of love for Alexander and Hymenaeus, and he actually wants them to learn and he wants them to grow. You know, when do you do that? When do you say, God, I've done everything I know to do with these people, this, this whatever, this child, this person that I know? When do you do that? How do you do that? And so that's, that's not an easy thing to do. I don't think Paul's saying every time somebody messes up that you just hand them over and say, no, I don't, I don't think that. So in this, he is saying that I set them outside the church too. When you, when you look at your commentaries, and your, he's saying, I, I delivered them over to Satan. So in other words, they work in the protection of the church in the fold. We don't talk about that kind of stuff too much. Uh, and, and it's difficult. Uh, but there is a protection about being in the house of God being a part of God's family and a local body. Uh, and so here Paul's saying, we need to be out of this church and, and I'm turning you over. Is there a time to do that? We better be careful and we better be very merciful just like the Lord. Sometimes the very people that you reject in your family are going to end up just like them and you're going to wish you had them. But until we have that person that we love and that's our family and they've gone that direction and they've done that sin and then we're like, you know, maybe we ought to have a little more mercy. Maybe we ought to, you know, uh, doesn't mean, again, that's that fine balance of hating the sin, loving the sinner, loving people. It's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit is what it is when it gets down to it. Uh, how do you be merciful but yet also teach correctly not compromise the scripture because it's God's love that draws people to salvation it's not the judgment that does the Bible affirms that but then again we can't be so loosey goosey that we have everything and anything being okay <laughs> Question 1 from verse 12, 
Why was Paul entrusted with the gospel? Because Jesus enabled him. Question two from the same verse, verse 12. Why was Paul enabled for the ministry? Counted faithful. What was Paul formerly according to verse 13? Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent. Uh, what does the word ministry mean? Service or servant. Question five. We talked about a lot of reasons why Timothy might want to leave Ephesus last week, but what was another reason? He might have felt what? Unworthy. Unworthy or maybe incapable of what God's calling to do. Question six. What is one reason Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus? A reason why Paul said you need to stay in Ephesus and continue to do this work is that if God found a way to use me, he'll find a way to use you. Uh, that was the reason why Paul's saying, you need to stay. Don't think you're inferior. Don't think you can't do this because God used me, chief of all sinners, he can use you. According to verse 15, fill in the blanks here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save the sinners of whom, whom I am chief. According to verse 16, who is Paul a pattern for? All who will hear and believe on, on Christ uh, in the future for, for everlasting life or for the future. Uh, he's the pattern. In other words, God's saying, Paul is saying, God can save many than he can save anybody. Right? So I'm, I'm, he's saying I'm a pattern for God's extreme grace and mercy salvation. According to verse 18, what did Paul charge Timothy to do? Wage the good war, warfare. Fight the good fight. However you want, want to say that. 